This message by Pastor Eric Ludy was given at the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. As a ministry, we desire to see the return of strong, triumphant Christianity in the church today. We make these messages available free of charge for the purpose of strengthening the body of Christ and igniting bold faith in the hearts of believers around the world. The ministry of Ellerslie is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. If you have been personally impacted by Ellerslie's messages, please consider partnering with us as we build world changers for Jesus Christ through gospel-centered discipleship. Visit ellerslie.com to learn more. Now, here's Pastor Eric Ludy. This is, this is a name that means a lot to me. At first, to you, it's like, what in the world is that? Uh, in the Hebrew... The word for man is ish. So when you add that ah on the end, you get something very delicate. Something like man, but different. Something that complements man perfectly. Where man is known as the strong, this one is more of the fragile and the delicate. That little ah on the end with the umlaut that we see adds something fragrant that in and of ourselves as men, we just don't have. Okay, we can all acknowledge it. And it's woman. It's the bride. It's the beloved. And so this is, this is in a sense, a picture of a bridegroom's pursuit of a bride. That is one of the overriding themes in Scripture that we see. God as the bridegroom pursuing us as a bride. And for some of us as men, that's a little strange. I get that. Uh, It's also strange for the women when Paul, the apostle, exhorts you to quit yourselves like men and be strong. In other words, the idea of gender in the Bible is used to bring out dimension of the kingdom of heaven. And as men, we have a role to reveal who Christ is in a very unique way. But as women, you have an opportunity to reveal the kingdom of heaven in a very unique way as well. But the, the, the bride is the one that's dependent The one that leans on the strong right arm of her groom. And as Christians, we are the bride. We are not the savior. We are not the strong man. We are the one who leans on the strong. Every one of us, even the men in here, need to learn to be the ones that are dependent upon the strong, righteous, saving arm of Jesus Christ. All right. Let's get into this. This has the potential to be quite beautiful. I I mean, we're we're starting this out with a poem. Uh, this This is something that I wrote. And I don't know what got into me to share this with you, okay? I usually don't share my poetry. When the alumni conference was in town, I shared some poetry. I'm not, I don't usually do this, but something's obviously stirring me up, guys. So I was preparing a series. Some of you know that I've prepared a series uh, for Hudson. It's called The Honorable Man, and it's seven installments, and we're on three now, of just the vision, the epic vision of what it is for a young man to become, a boy to become a man. And it is powerful stuff. So in the process, I've been working on this for Harper. uh, And it's called The Invention of Beautiful. And in the process, I was writing poetry because how do I explain this? And so I wrote a poem on femininity that uh, is just a little too uncomfortable to read in here. And so, but this one captured the other dimension of it, which is, uh, I mean, you can see it in the title. It's, It's, this is he. And, I mean, this is so stirring to me as a man, okay? But I don't know, I don't care who you are, man, woman, this is stirring. This is just, this is something special. This is what we're going to meditate upon. This is he. In the Hebrew, they call him Ish. The man, husband, priest, and soldier. 
in the language of a female wish, <laughs> hero, champion, selfless savior. Forged in fires, fashioned through pain, built through wind, sleet, bluster, and rain. This is he, the chosen vessel, the one selected to carry the name. This is he, built of gristle, the one of humble manger fame. This is he, sinew and muscle, the bearded, bloody, brawny type. This is he, designed to wrestle, yet sent to earth to lay down his life. The legends say he's brave and true, audacious, stalwart, stature grand. The minstrel songs claim there is proof he's gentle as a baby lamb. Built for battle, fashioned for blows, prepared to take all hell to the nose. This is he, the royal seed, the one picked out to suffer and bleed. This is he, the bruised reed, who shouted victory from the tree. This is he who set all free by triumphing single-handedly. This is he who all agree deserves our laud eternally. Silence, O oh people, hush ye troops, the mighty man is passing through. Cover your mouth and rise to salute. Play those bagpipes, sound that flute. He raced through peril to snatch his prize. Danger he mocked, fear he defied. This is he, the one we buried, because on his back our sin he carried. This is he, the one we cherish, because he was cursed that we mightn't perish. This is he that blew wide the door, threw off those chains, is dead no more. This is he that reigns as master, manly and brave forever after. This is the Ish of capital I, showing how to live and die. All lowercase men must turn in mind, no greater map you'll ever find. Daring, doing, charging, defying, leaping, sprinting, willingly dying. This is he who set forth vision to carry out this manly mission. This is he who must do the working. Apart from him, you can do nothing. This is he that is faithful to do all that he said and promised to. This is he who made you a man. Rise up now and take your stand. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's good stuff. I'm stirred. That is the one I want us to reflect upon today. This is the one who has set forth a pattern, a pattern of love, of bravery, of courage that is so otherworldly. Ish, the man, the groom, the strong one, the first sufferer. If there's a bullet flying towards something that is weak, the Ish stands in front and takes the blow. The muscular and ready to die. Most men, when they think of manhood, don't recognize that that's what a man is. He's the one that is built to lay down his life. That's what we are. That's what Jesus was. Anyone want to argue that? This is what the man of all men showed us. What was he built for? He was built for Calvary. Why would a man be built to do that? To lay down his life for the weak. A man is uniquely designed to carry something. To carry a burden. A lot of times when we get to the more bleeding heart issues, okay, which we're going to talk about today, we're going to talk about the issues of the weak, the poor, the lonely, the imprisoned, the addicted, the lost. We get to those issues, oftentimes women feel quicker. They oftentimes have this idea that, oh, we need to do something, which they're right. But I want to call out the fact that Jesus set a pattern for men responding as well. And so I don't want us to lose that as we move forward. As we talk about Isha. 
the woman, the bride, the beautiful one, the dependent, the weaker vessel, the delicate and lovely. Now, I know some of the women in here are just like offended that I would even define it that way. It's not my definition. This is is beautiful. This is wonderful. This isn't something to be ashamed of. I, I know our culture has gone rogue and renegade and tried to defy the way that God created the heavens and the earth, how he designed man and woman. But I'm not going anywhere on that point. I'm standing right here. God did it, and he did it well. It is good. It is very good. And I agree. Charles Spurgeon says something that uh, those at Ellerslie have heard. It's in a message called Salima, a very profound message. Uh, I gave uh, a, a message to a, oh, it was a conference of girls probably like 15 years ago. And uh, it was a message called Salima. It's been a very deep part of my life. I, I spent uh, about two months in my life studying Song of Solomon. Well, that's a risky thing to do. And I'm not necessarily saying that everyone should just go out and do that. However, it, it so dramatically impacted me. I remember Charles Spurgeon describing it this way. He said, out of all the Bible, if you want to find the Holy of Holies, it's right there in Song of Solomon. Even the fragrance, this woman... Is smells like frankincense. Well, the whole book is talking about frankincense, myrrh, gold plated. What what Christ does, what the what the groom does to this bride is the holy of holies. Like she, he's inviting her into the very presence of the King. And so there's something so beautiful. Listen to Charles Spurgeon speaking on Song of Solomon. So obviously there was someone else other than Eric that studied it. Uh, the translation into the word Shulamite is unhappy. It is unmusical and misses the meaning. The Hebrew word is a feminine of Solomon. Solomon may stand for the bridegroom's name, and then the well-beloved bride takes her husband's name in a feminine form of it, which is Shulamith, or Solome, or perhaps better, Solima. Solomon is Solimo, and she is Solima. The king has named his name upon her. And as Caius has his Kaya, so Solomon has his Solima. Isn't that beautiful? And Ish, the capital I, Ish, has his Isha. I like that. I like that. Ezekiel 16. What we see is a picture of God speaking to his bride. Now the reason I know that is because as the, the Bible progresses, we're going to see Jerusalem be identified as the bride of Christ. It's a symbol. And so in the end, you see the bride, Jerusalem coming down, the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, adorned as a bride. And so this symbol of Jerusalem, this holy city, this set-apart place for God's working, where does he work? He does his work in Jerusalem. Where, where, uh, where did he die? Jerusalem. Where did he rise again? Jerusalem. Where was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Where is he doing his work? It's right there. This is where his heart is beating. He cares about this, this Isha, this bride. So we know it as a city. I, I recognize that. But there's something here that God wants to draw and come out of, the, out of the pages of Scripture and cause us to be brought into this drama. Just wait, because he's going to be the one doing it right here. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, cause Jerusalem to know her abominations. And says, thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem, your birth and your nativity are from the land of Canaan. 
Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. As for your nativity, on the day you were born, your navel cord was not cut, nor were you washed in water to cleanse you. You were not rubbed with salt nor wrapped in swaddling cloths. No, I pitied you to do any of these things for you, to have compassion on you. But you were thrown out into the open field when you yourself were loathed on the day you were born. And when I passed by you and saw you struggling in your own blood, I said to you, in your blood, live. Yes, I said to you in your blood, live. I made you thrive like a plant in the field, and you grew, matured, and became very beautiful. I spread my wing over you and covered your nakedness. Yes, I swore an oath to you and entered into a covenant with you, and you became mine, says the Lord God. Then I washed you in water. Yes, I thoroughly washed off your blood. And I anointed you with oil. I clothed you in embroidered cloth and gave you sandals of badger skin. I clothed you with fine linen and covered you with silk. I adorned you with ornaments, put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck. And I put a jewel in your nose, earrings in your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver and your clothing was of fine linen, silk and embroidered cloth. You ate pastry of fine flour, honey, and oil. You were exceedingly beautiful and succeeded to royalty. Your fame went out among the nations because of your beauty, and for it was perfect through my splendor which I had bestowed on you, says the Lord God. What's your position? In Christ, Christ, clothed as Jerusalem was clothed. This is the great, grand mystery of the grace of God taking those that were cast out those covered in their own filth and blood. And he says, I choose that one right there. Jesus, you wouldn't choose them. They don't have the stuff. They don't have the righteousness. They don't have the purity that your bride would, des- would should have. The king of kings, what should his bride be like? Not like that. And yet, God has defied all of our natural man thinking by placing value where we cannot fathom we're going to call this the doctrine of exquisite preciousness I don't know that it's ever been defined by a theologian but we'll bring it up today the doctrine of exquisite preciousness what does that doctrine say well it's all of scripture what does it say about that which is unlovely it's loved what does it say about that which is unholy it's pursued What does it say about that which is unrighteous? It's suffered for. What does it say about that which is unworthy? It's died for. What does it say about that which is weak? It's rescued. And what does it say that the world would consider nothing? What does it say about it? That is, it is is exquisitely precious. I had to add the adverb exquisitely on there because just to call it precious doesn't quite do it justice what Christ deems it. Exquisitely precious precious so I did a study this last week on the most expensive real estate property in the world really interesting I mean I don't know if you've ever looked that up uh, what is the most expensive real estate property in the world you know so I had my mindsets you know of what I thought but this is what I found Monaco which is that little country inside of France right on the Mediterranean Sea just a little dot on our maps is uh, 
a very expensive place. If any of you are thinking of uh, doing holiday in there, you may want to consider that the hotel bill may be rather high. It costs a million dollars for a four by four square f- uh, lot. Four, four foot by four feet. A million dollars. Most expensive property in the world. In Hong Kong, it costs $50,000 a square foot. Now, before I did this, I thought Windsor, Colorado may rank in the top five. Okay, if you live here, it's like, man, it is so expensive in northern Colorado. So I put an asterisk next to this, next to $50,000 a square foot in Hong Kong. Windsor, Colorado is around $148 a square foot. <laughs> Boy, we're pathetic. Oh, my. London, so I did it. I was thinking, okay, say I'm in London and I want to buy a little plot of land, a little 10 by 10 square to build a kiddie pool. $4 million. Singapore, those chapel steps out there that you came in on, would cost $1.5 million for that property, just for the steps. In Geneva, if we built this in Geneva, this chapel in Geneva, it would cost $144 million for this chapel building. All right? So some of you are like, I feel just fine here in Windsor now. Okay? Now, the reason I'm saying this is because when we think of value, we think like real estate is going to be the highest value. You know, and I've heard some people say, oh, the highest value is intellectual property. And I know they're being creative when they say that. But I want to tell you what God says is of the greatest value. He is happy to burn all of this up. But there is something that he has shed his blood for and died for. And it is of the greatest value in the universe. And yet the answer to what that is, is shocking to us as humans. We almost can't comprehend it. Smoke starts coming out of our ears. Ready for this? I'm going to give you the top five most valuable things according to God. The most expensive real estate property in the world according to God. First one is you. Worth the shed blood of Jesus Christ. You know how valuable that is? I know the devil's been whispering to you your entire life saying you're nothing, you're nothing, you're nothing, you're nothing. And yet God goes out of his way to say, it's so important, you are so valuable that I will spend the most valuable thing in the entire universe, which is my very life, to get you. All right? So I don't know what the devil's been telling you, but let that overwrite it. Second thing on the list. You, worth his almighty life given up. You, worth God coming to earth to save. You, worth God himself suffering and dying. You, of inestimable, unfathomable worth. It is so hard to even comprehend. Now, I had a little uh, asterisk on the first one. Of course, it is difficult to put numerical value to it, but every square foot of human property is worth billions, even trillions more than every square foot of that cheap oceanfront property in Monaco. Cheap oceanfront property in Monaco compared to this, the human body. You see, the devil goes out of his way to try and diminish the value, but he also, in the same time, is proving its value. You see, he's not after the chair you're sitting in. He's not trying to possess the carpet. He's not trying to hinder the wall. He's after humans. Why? Because he knows God has set his favor, his love, his pursuit singularly upon them. He is happy to give up the entire heavens and the earth to make sure he procures us. That is an incredible thought. 
And so as a result, as a foundation for where we're going today, I think we need to awaken to this. We need to wrestle with this. We need to allow God's truth to overwrite so many lies. So just try and fathom this. He desires you. So much so that he gave up his life to purchase you. And so much so that he made a way for every bit of your filth to be absolved. And so much so that he supplied all the heavy equipment required to clean up your life. And so much so that he supplied all the building tools and the construction crew needed to build your life into a picture of his heavenly glory. The Holy Spirit has been given. Everything needed for life and godliness. The shed blood of Jesus and everything necessary and requisite to lift you out of the ash heap. To lift you out of the dumpster. And to literally restore your life and make it what God intended it to be. The unfathomable gospel. You don't receive what you deserve. If we were to ask right now, according to the justice system of heaven, if what we deserve, if we get it, it's not pretty. It's eternal separation from God. It's called condemnation. That's what we deserve. But the unfathomable gospel is that we don't get what we deserve. We get what he deserves. What does Jesus deserve? Uh, He deserves everything. He's inherited everything. He's inherited the highest position. He's been exalted to the highest place. And any one of us that will humble ourselves and believe in him, you know what happens? We inherit his inheritance. We receive his position. I mean, it's just, it's almost ridiculous. It is. You see, we are like a landfill on a Monaco coastline. Oceanfront view, that's us. But we're a landfill. We're full of so much junk, so much filth, so much stink. And yet underneath that, when the Spirit of God comes in and clears off that junk, you know what's underneath? The most precious property in the world. That is an extraordinary thought. So how does this unfathomable unfathomable gospel affect us? If you recognize, if you catch it, that you are a redeemed landfill on the coastlines of Monaco, 10 mile stretch. I mean, this is so valuable that it's incomprehensible to us. Smoke's coming out of our ears. And you felt so worthless, but the moment you come to Christ, He clears off the junk, the garbage. And what's left is something of such extreme and exquisite preciousness. So, when you know that, how does it change you? You know what you begin to think? You look at someone next to you and go, You are a 10-mile stretch of Monaco coastline. In fact, it's greater than that. It's like a 10-mile stretch of heavenly coastline. Exquisite preciousness. So, how does it change us? We don't give to others what they deserve. What do we give? We give them what Christ deserves. In other words, there could be someone walking down the road that doesn't deserve much, right? In the earthly sense, they may deserve hell. And yet, what do we give them? We give them a taste of heaven. We give them the love of Jesus. This is how we function as Christians. We don't measure people by their stink. We measure people by the preciousness under the stink. God has purchased this. He's after this. He desires this. And though, yes, they're covered with a bunch of stink right now, Jesus wants to clear off that stink. 
He wants to get down to why they were created. And he wants them to know it. So this is how it changes us. The reason it's important for us to know the value. You see, we aren't the ones that have accomplished this. The fact that God has seen fit to put value on this. Hey, I mean, it's almost incomprehensible to me too. But he has. And he hasn't just put value on us in this room. But those out there that are still covered with filth. He says, that's precious to me. But they're covered with filth, God. Yeah. But I died so that that filth could be removed. They need to hear the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. Matthew 25. Jesus talking. For I was hungry and you gave me meat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came unto me. And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. So as a result, as a Christian, what we recognize is we do not see landfill. We see preciousness. The same way we need to allow our eyesight to be cleared and fixed to recognize that we actually have value in the kingdom of heaven. You see, as long as you have a capital Y on you and it's all about you, you're a landfill. But the moment that you allow your Y in you to get lowercase and you say, God, this property is worthless unless you own it, unless you take it. And we humble ourselves and we lowercase that Y in you. Suddenly he can move in and make it all that he intended to be. He wants to build his palace on that. That which showcases the glory, the majesty, the beauty of heaven on this property. He has chosen this. And everyone on the outside can say, that's a landfill. Not anymore. It was. I once was lost. But now I'm found. God loves to take that garbage dump known as us and convert it and change it into the place of his glory. We hope you have enjoyed this message by Pastor Eric Ludi, delivered at the Church of Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without expressed written permission. For more information about us or to help support the ministry of Ellerslie, we invite you to visit us at ellerslie.com. E-L-L-E-R-S-L-I-E dot com. Please know that you are not alone in this battle for truth and we are cheering you on down the narrow way of the cross.